Beings from the Cine Skinny podcast. We're talking about how we talk on the phone. We're having a great time. I really do think, yeah, I don't know. I think I talk like this normally, but if it was like, da, 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 say something that like a tax person would say. Hello, is Where's that- your tax? <laughs> You've not paid any tax. Where's the money? <laughs> or I was going to say, hello, is that Ms. Berries? That's what they would say. And then what would you say to that? I'd say I have a PhD. <laughs> Doctor. They would say, sorry, let me just check my notes again. Is that Dr. Berries? And then I would say, hi, yeah, it is. Yeah, okay, so it is hi. Okay, higher. cool. Do you see what I mean? Yes. Okay. And then they say sorry again about the Ms. Doctor thing. <laughs> it's, very, it's very busy here at HMRC. <laughs> I actually wouldn't say that to the tax person, but I will say that to you. Yeah, that, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, but unfortunately I was playing the character too well. <laughs> because then they might actually charge you more tax. A doctor, eh? They pay a lot of tax. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Not that kind of doctor. <laughs> the poor one. <laughs> the kind of doctor that went into the arts. <laughs> and that's how I was let go from walking in the HMRC call center. Hello and welcome to the Cine Skinny, the only good film podcast. How is everybody? It's me, Jamie, and Dr. Anahu. <laughs> Remember when we started the advice column and Roz wanted to call it Dr. Ask Dr. Bakery's brackets, not that one. Yes. <laughs> a joke for the three members of my family. Yeah, a very, very specific <laughs> Venn diagram overlap there. Um, how are you, Jamie? Uh, pretty tired. It's the middle of the festival and I'm just sick of seeing things basically I want to just stay at home and yeah. watch rubbish TV okay so that's one energy <laughs> no I'm the same energy okay. <laughs> there is no variation I do not see art anymore it's no. too much no I don't want to see art I'm very tired I'm like barely I'll be honest with you I'm barely clinging on I don't know if you can tell I'm barely hanging on <laughs> by the thread I had no idea <laughs> It's just very exhausting. But then you don't want to miss the art because apparently the art is good. That's true. Well, yeah, it's, it's good that everyone's in a good mood feeling great about the arts because yeah. we've all come here to EHFM at Summer Hall, ehfm.live, to, uh, <laughs> to talk about films. Yes. A yes. form of art. How are you? We didn't ask how you are. Yeah, I'm all right. Oh, that's nice. I've got a dentist appointment tomorrow. Oh, no. So that'll be, a, that'll be fine. It will be fine. Yeah. Also, it sounds like someone is running a cheese grater than the side of the building <laughs> in my head. <laughs> yeah, me too. Anyway, all of this is to say that we are back to talk about some more filmy stuff. So it's kind of a second, almost like a second EIFF thing. Because today we've got two reviews of two films that are playing at EIFF, but are crucially also coming out in the UK generally very shortly after. Yes. So if you're not in Edinburgh, don't worry. I don't want to hear that this is an Edinburgh-centric podcast that only caters to our very, very niche interests. Anyone, anyone who's thinking that, park it for the next 40 to 45 minutes. Yes, we did just spend five minutes talking about the Fringe, but I think I believe you cut that out. I believe most of, I believe most of that was cut, so... <laughs> being so mean. <laughs> yeah, the, the bits that were considered mean or potentially uh, professionally damaging for us were cut. <laughs> it was professionally for us, professionally for others, and then just irrelevant to the topic at hand. <laughs> uh, so should we just go straight into the topic at hand or should we tell them what we're going to be talking about? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, two film festival films you can also see elsewhere, and some chat about love triangles for which I and possibly other members of the panel are slightly unprepared. Oh no, I have a film. Oh okay, 
So I haven't prepared anything on it, but I do have a film. Okay, so we're in for a fun time. Yeah. Hey. We're all on board. Do you think people will stop listening to the tired we get? <laughs> do you think we should keep the energy up? I kind of feel right now it's very like charming and DIY, but I feel if I keep being miserable <laughs> on the podcast, it will wear thin. Cine skinny at the skinny dot co dot uk. If you've got any thoughts on that, should Anahit continue to show a sense of enthusiasm for at least some of the films that we're talking about, slash the concept of doing the podcast at all, slash the arts in general, do let us know. You can get us on. You can get us on X. Come at us on Instagram, have a fun time with it. But yeah, the, the real question that we're asking today, as well as are any of these films good, is is any of this good? <laughs> you can say. Who, who, who can say? Uh, you can say, Cindy Skinny at UK. I'm going to move us on to the first film that we're going to talk about today, which is Scrapper. So, Georgie, who is played by Lola Campbell, is a kind of tween living alone in her London flat after her mother passes away. She hangs about with her pal Ali, she steals bikes, she plays football, and is soon reunited with her estranged dad, Jason, played by Harris Dickinson from Triangle of Sadness, I believe, a film I have not seen, but I recognised his tall face. Yeah, he's really hot. He's really hot. Uh, and And the film is a kind of tender story about a teenage girl's difficult relationship with her young father that has been directed by a first-time British filmmaker named Charlotte. If anyone's uh, after-son PTSD alarm is currently <laughs> firing on all cylinders, you might want might know why. Uh, but because I'm going to come to Jamie first on the next one, according to the notes, Anahi, I'm going to ask you some things, ask you to tell me what you thought of this film that we're currently talking about. Yeah, I thought it was very lovely, if slightly unremarkable. Um, I feel this sort of film has been done a lot, um, and I'm not even talking about the comparison with After Sun, but if you asked me to name any other film that has done it, obviously I can't tell you a single one. But like the story did feel quite familiar, that sense of like the sort of childish dad, and it's funny because like, it's almost like the kid is raising them um, type of thing. The only thing currently coming to mind is Gilmore Girls. <laughs> And I know there are other... Florida Project is one I've heard yeah, people Florida reference. Project, yeah, like I think it has been kind of, it's it's quite a familiar trope, I suppose yeah. is what I'm saying. And I don't know if this really brings anything all that new to it, but it is very charming. She's very, very sweet, um, quite like brash. It actually, do you know what it reminded me a lot of was, for no real reason, <laughs> it's probably not a very good comparison, um, but... Andrea Arnold's fish tank a little bit, just in that sense of kind of this girl growing up on like a British council estate who's just like a little bit isolated and is making like this little world of her own through like out of loneliness, out of neglect. Um, And obviously fish tank is like a lot more like brutal. This is like quite light and quite like charming, but it kind of has that sort of investigation, exploration of that kind of like working class um, British sort of like life. And yeah, like her dad comes along and they kind of have this sort of tense relationship that turns into something quite warm. I really, really like Harris Dickinson. I think he's really beautiful. eh? Which helps. (laughs) Which does help. But he is like a really, ooh, has that always been that? That board? (laughs) It's nice. There's like an EHFM board. For listeners, (laughs) we're describing a, a piece of wood, probably about two feet long. Yeah, about. About a foot high, mm. uh, orange, 
to salmon, I would say. It's like audio description. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Accessibility. Lower, lowercase text reading EHFM in teal interlocked with capital case EHFM in white and then some other text that I cannot read no, I can't see because either. of a shelf in the way. Anyway, it looks good. Accessibility. Um, That's alt, real life alt text <laughs> for audio. <laughs> That does remind me that I <laughs> does remind me that on a work note I do need to do, do some alt text training with everybody for the website, but oh. it's fine. That is not an issue for this podcast right now. You were talking about how Harris Dickinson is a very beautiful man. He is a very beautiful man, um, but he is like a really interesting actor, like working at the moment. I think the kind of films that he picks, like Triangle of Sadness. Um, one of my favorite roles of his is in Matthias and Maxime, where he plays like this, like douchey Toronto business guy and I think he's just like quite good at bridging like kind of humor with something that's like quite like gritty and almost like dangerous and like he really brings that here it is very sweet I think it's only 83 minutes long which obviously like god bless a godsend but it does mean that it doesn't really dig into that relationship and I think the conclusions that it kind of comes to in the solutions like it wraps it all up quite neatly and I think without really like the requisite emotional sort of work that's needed. Um, so I was left feeling just like that it was a little bit like light and a little bit surface level, but there are just like some very like beautifully observed moments. There's this bit where he's like encouraging her to like, he's like playing this game with her essentially where they narrate like what two people on the opposite side of the train are saying and she's so reluctant and then like they start and it's like this really beautiful chemistry. There are also these like very quirky moments where it has this almost, um, Again, I can't think of what it reminds me of, um, but like it chronicles all the spiders in her house. And it's like almost this like video gamey, like old school arcade text. And like just these quirks that I think make her a very interesting one to watch director. But I don't think this film definitely does not have the caliber of something like After Sun. I don't think it's really pretending to. But yeah, very promising and just like very nice to watch. Yeah, I found, Jamie, I don't know about you, it kind of fell between being a very like a long short film capital s capital f short film and a short feature film because i think it doesn't one of the things about it is it doesn't seem to try to do very much in terms of like it's telling quite a simple story quite straightforwardly but what it does do i found it does quite well and it also looks excellent you kind of alluded to it there are a lot of like super saturated colors and mercifully sparing use of kind of like formal switcheroos these little kind of interstitial bits with other people from the community, mm. but it doesn't fly around all over the place trying to do, again, doesn't try to do too much with what it's got. It has these little bits that kind of break, not the, that break up the regular bit, the regularly scheduled film. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if there's actually maybe more to the film because like you say, those little documentary moments suggest that, that a wider world with different characters suggests school and the care workers, but we don't really dig into that. So maybe that was in a different draft of the film and it just came in in this kind of very shorthand, uh, like playful way. So so it does seem like a, like a documentary crew is interviewing her friends, uh, the kids in the neighbourhood and, you know, people who aren't really characters within the film, but have an opinion on Georgie. Um, yeah, I thought there's a lot going for it. I think it looks great. I, I don't know if it actually mentions where it's set. I think it's like outside London somewhere, Essex, something like that. Um, and it, like, it really pops with colour. The, the house she lives in is this kind of like banana coloured house and it's in a row of terraces where all, they're all kind of pastel colours which I guess is maybe why people are comparing to the yeah. Florida project um, yeah and it's just got like lots of playful little moments like you've mentioned it just looks looks great you know like I think 
too often the problem with like working class films um our, our films set in working class areas in british cinema it just the, the instinct is to make it look grim and grimy um so this goes the opposite way and is actually quite refreshing um i would say the problem though is so it, the film has this kind of energy to it and it's and i think that is like reflecting the young girl um georgie and I, and i think that that is a great idea to have a film that's kind of like your character is like bouncing with ideas and energy but it's, I think the film is also a bit like a kid and that it's a bit naive. You know, it, it doesn't have, it feels like a fairy tale. And I think if you, if you compare it to something like The Florida Project, that does have colour and wit and these kind of like little moments of fantasy. But it also has reality. And I think that's really what's missing for the film. You know, just a, a, just an ounce of grit. Just, you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't isn't really truthful, I think. That's maybe my issue. It, it's never really truthful about the care system you know it uh it, it just paints the care care system as a bunch of idiots you know and it, that's funny because the kid uh, georgie had she had this scheme where she's convincing the social uh, workers that she has her uncle living with her called winston churchill and she does a kind of home alone style switcheroo where she has um the guy from uh like the corner shop make some uh, voice notes for her so she can fake it and that's really funny but it, it, i think it also should have maybe tried to say something about the world you know mm. um so it's, it's very it's very fun being like like fantastical and sweet but yeah i think it, it would it would have benefited from a l- little bit of realism put in there you know and i'm not saying it has to be ken loach but i'm saying it has to sort of be truthful to the world um so it kind of it, it, it it's very sweet very warm i, I agree that the, the the central pairing is what makes it you know i think once harris dickens shows up him and is it lola Campbell, who's the, who's, the, who's the young actress who's like 12, they are fantastic together and all their scenes uh, together are really fun. Actually remind me a lot of um, uh, Paris, Texas. There's a lot of scenes where they, they walk on either side of the road, which is a big kind of motif mm. in, in Paris, Texas. And it's, yeah, it's about somebody who is mistrusting of her f- estranged father for obvious reasons, but then slowly warms to him. And it, yeah, it did remind me of a lot of films. I think I think the, the filmmaker's borrowing from a lot of places, but clearly talented and got, got a kind of eye for detail and things like that which is very promising for the next film but yeah for me it was just uh, just a little bit too slight so the reason we're talking about it today is because it's on as part of the Edinburgh Film Festival like outdoor screenings mm-hmm. program and I feel like it's the kind of film where it's it has some flaws to it but I think that the look of it and the energy of it it's kind of a, it's a decent film for that in terms yeah. of like new films from like new directors with small casts it's got a kind of inventiveness and like you say a lot of that is borrowing from other things or clearly a very kind of like visually literate like yeah. sensibility it would actually be best for someone around George's age actually I think younger people might be into like it's like because it's funny it's, it's like, it, like I think it's really charming and it is like an art house film in that it's trying to do something really interesting visually so I think young people who are interested in more unusual films might get a lot out of it and like if a family audience went to see that I think they would laugh along and uh, you know the fact that it does avoid sort of the grimmer aspects of life and how it would be for a child who is left on her own um, in this situation maybe makes it more palatable for an audience, uh, a family audience. So maybe that's the aim. Um, and if it, if that is the aim, I think it succeeds. I think it's really charming and funny. Yeah, that's such an interesting idea. I hadn't thought of it like that, but it really has almost that kind of like Roald Dali like fantasy idea of like mm. the kind of scrappiness of kids and what if they could just like look after themselves and. It's just like untethered from like reality in that way, which is, yeah, like really charming for children. I think that kind of sense of, yeah, 
Anyway, you said it better. But yeah, I hadn't thought of it like. And as Peter says, the the three uh, triplets who who uh, like are sometimes interviewed are hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hilarious group of uh, I think British Nigerian like ten year olds in black suits with bright yellow bicycles just disagreeing with each other, then disappearing off for twenty minutes and not being seen again. <laughs> And there's a bunch of cool kids who uh, don't like Georgie because she doesn't wear foundation. Yeah, and they're the, mean kind of, girls. the mean girls, like in pink. Yeah. Like, they're fun as well. <laughs> but also, like, uh, again, in this kind of like childlike wonder way, they've clearly just like gone at themselves with like a trowel to put the foundation on. Like, she doesn't know how to put on makeup. <laughs> I think we've discovered, rediscovered some childlike whimsy on the Cine Skinny podcast now, rare turn of events. So. <laughs> so, Scrapper is on at the EIFF outdoor screenings at the old college quad. This Saturday, the 19th of August at 6pm. I think it's currently sold out, but it's the festivals. So just look out for some returns or something like that. Or to watch it through a gap in the wall, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's also on at GFF on Sunday, the 20th of August. I think I think there's a Q&A with the one at GFF. I'm not sure if there is for one at, for the one at EIFF. I think, I, think, yeah, I think the director is coming. So yeah. I, I saw her on a list sent out. Um, so yeah, Charlotte, Re- is it Charlotte Regan. Charlotte Regan. Yeah. She, she'll be there. So. Yes, and then I believe it is out, out, next Friday, 25th of August. That's Scrapper. It's quite good, but quite slight, and has some very, very funny children in it. So, enjoy. Righto, so Passages. Franz Rogowski plays Thomas. He is a film director who's just finished his latest project. At the rap party, he meets and gets off with Agat, who's played by Adele Exarchopoulos. The only problem is... He's already got a husband. What was that? It's the, like a record scratch. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I thought it was a door opening. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would that would equally apply. Um, not to jump ahead, but yeah. Um, so his husband is Martin, who's played by Ben Wishaw. And what follows is a whole load of, as I put it on here, effing around and finding out on the streets of Paris. Uh, the film is directed by Ira Sachs, who's maybe best known for kind of New York-based films like Little Men or Love is Strange. Uh, Jamie, the reason I'm coming to you for this is because you were in New York recently and I went to Anna Heat first last time. So Yeah, I, I used to live in New York <laughs> for a week. Uh, you made friends with uh, one of the characters, one of the people from Oppenheimer. Who was it again? Oh, yeah. Um, Jack Quaid. Well, I saw him on the street. Yeah, I'll do. <laughs> yeah. My close, friend, my close friend, Jack Quaid. <laughs> Me and him hanging out on the mean streets of that <laughs> large apple. Anyway, Passages, what did you think? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think this is terrific. I think there's a, I think there's an argument to me that Franz Rosowski is probably the most exciting male actor working right now. You know, in the last few years, he's had small roles in with, with Michael Haneke and Happy Ending. He was in Terrence Malick's A Hidden Life, um, and as we were saying last time on the podcast, he like is a regular with Christian Petzold, and he's been amazing in two of his films. Uh, he's he's really good in Great Freedom, um, really shape shifting and that, and and he's and I think. Bellinim's in five films, so we, well, there's no shortage of Franzowski coming up, um, and he's just such an unusual performer. You know, he's got a real kind of intensity to him, but it's mixed with softness, and I think that's what he makes him a real kind of chameleon. He's never like the same twice in any film, um, and here as Thomas, he's playing this kind of like absolute monster, but you cannot take your eyes off him. There's a funny kind of debate happening right now on a uh, Twitter about like uh, you know by a bunch of like absolute dweebs. Uh, basically, a bunch of virgins who say that who say that there shouldn't be sex in cinema, and this is also an incredibly sexy film. So, as well as like being this like a real kind of study of a narcissist and and how he uh, inflicts pain on people and the, and the people who love him, 
It's also an amazing film about sex and how sex is used as a weapon. The two sex scenes are amazing, but they're also indicative of Thomas's behavior and sort of show how he uses his body to like manipulate these people. Because that's that's why it works because he is a monster, but he has charm and he has a kind of like quality where you can, he has to be because he ha you have to understand why these people are falling for this guy because he treats them horribly. So, you know, I, I, like I, lo I, I love his kind of like a uh, shamelessness. There's a scene where like he, he he's, he's basically walks in and tells Martin that uh, he's like slept with a woman. He just breaks it to him. He, he doesn't see any shame in it, even though he's clearly like cutting Martin in two. And then later he turns up at Agat's house with all his stuff, just saying, oh, hiya. And he's moving in. So he's a person who just uses people. Um, and it's like, and it's interesting to, to focus a film on someone like that, because I think the most powerful scene in the film is the scene without him. Like, I don't know if you remember the scene where Agat and uh, Martin Ma have a chat. It's, I think then that's where the kind of actual heartbreak of the film comes in. The pathos is when you actually realise, um, you know, these two speaking to each other realise what, what sort of pain they've been through because of this guy. So yeah, it's a really, really thorny, interesting film looking at a kind of modern relationship. Um, Iris Axe, I think, is a really interesting filmmaker. The way he deals with the sexuality of it is really interesting. The way he deals with like the infidelity um, is really kind of interesting. It's very French in that way that it's a kind of a, people kind of don't, don't seem to bat an eye at a um, sort of love triangle. So yeah, I thought it was a great film. Um, like tons going on that, that was uh, was fantastic and yeah we maybe can go on to later but I'd also love to talk about Thomas's outfits uh, yeah 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 but yeah. we can maybe leave that <laughs> right now I spoke too much so I believe last time I complained that a fire the Christian Pets old one I've said that the narcissistic lead character was insufficiently narcissistic oh boy and man oh man <laughs> sometimes when we put it out there we receive it back tenfold <laughs> delightful stuff this guy Shitbag extraordinaire. Incredible scenes. It is incredible, yeah. I do feel it's very interesting hearing you both talk because I think he is like insane. Like I think he's like literally insane. Like it's the bit where he like comes home to tell his husband about it and then he's like, Can I talk to you about it, please? And it's like, bitch, <laughs> no. <laughs> so he is a narcissist and he is absolutely insane. But I think what I liked so much about this film is it has like not even necessarily like empathy for it but I think it has like it gives space for us to kind of consider why someone would behave like that and I think the way that this film talks about and like represents desire is so interesting because it kind of represents it as something that you can't really help so this like horrible feeling that you could like fuck up your life you could fuck up everyone else's lives just for like this thing that you want really badly and obviously that's a selfish thing and not everyone would do that, but like that that kind of impetus exists. And I really, really respect this film for kind of like giving that idea, like just complete scope. Like what would happen if someone went to the extremes of that? And I think that's why like, yeah, thinking about this sort of sex scene discourse, what do the sex scenes do over there? I think like we need to be able to articulate what that kind of like desire looks like and why people are willing to like ruin their lives for that. And I think this does it like so, so well. Um, and it's like a very gentle film, despite like how sexy it is. I think because everyone talked about it, it's such a horny film. I expected it to be quite like, I don't know. I don't know, like almost like really high energy, but it's like actually very gentle. I think especially like Ben Wishel's character has so much gentleness, but even like Franz Rogowski 
is just has always been like a very like internal actor um, and Adele as well. And I just think there is so much like softness to this film, despite the fact that it is about like this crazy, crazy person ruining his life, everyone else's lives in what, like not to spoil things, but like in what are often like quite like brutal ways. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. The clothes are so good. They're so good. Um, I did buy some crochet from Depop after watching this film, um, but I want more. It's just very, like, it's a lot of, like, sheer tops. I also bought one of those. <laughs> and just, like, a lot of crochet and a lot of just, like, hot people wearing good things. But there's also, like, a way that the kind of camera frames them. And it's just very, like, beautiful. Like, the colors of their clothes and the way that they kind of stand out against the background is very, like, painterly. I don't know if it's shot on film, but it has, like, a very filmy kind of softness to it. Um, and it's just, yeah, I really liked it. I really liked it. Yeah, uh, talking about outfits, my favourite one is the one where he wears uh, to see uh, Agat's mum and dad for the first time. So this is his first meeting with yeah. Agat's mum and dad. He, he turns up late and he's wearing this ridiculous, I think he's wearing a fur coat. Yeah. And then he takes off the fur coat. You know, like the fur coat's bad enough. And he takes off the fur coat and he's wearing like a sheer crop top with <laughs> dragons on it. Yeah. And his midriff showing. And he's meeting this conservative French parents who are worried that his the daughter have made made a mistake, you know, and like what an act of like either complete and utter obliviousness or an act of like aggression to wear this top to that meeting, and it's like that says everything about this person. He's just so utterly clueless. Either either he does not care what anyone thinks, or he knows exactly what the reaction he's going to get from this top. And either way, it, it says everything about him, you know. Yeah, and it's the fact, right, that he is wearing that because that's what he was wearing the night before when he went back to like seduce his husband. And so it's like kind of this in-between thing where it's like he doesn't care and also he is clueless, but he's just like not prioritizing it. Like he just does not care about her enough or these things enough. He's never gonna put what he wants on hold in order to fulfill his like obligations and responsibilities. And I don't think that's a way that most of us live our lives, but I think it would be lying to say that that's not like a mechanism of how desire operates and how it feels. And I just think it's so interesting the f way that this film kind of like verbalizes these often very like kind of quite shameful feelings that mm. we have. The very first scene of the film is Franz directing on one of the final days of the shoot. Uh, and he is just obsessed with the what the background actors are doing with their hands <laughs> for about four or five minutes, which is one like, and this is like a really good, so I just thought it was really interesting that like when you combine that with all the other things it shows a character who is simultaneously knows what they want and knows how to get it but yeah like you say it's just oblivious to the fact that if you just pursue the thing that you want without thinking about how it connects to anything else then you end up in these situations where you're like I suppose you are actually being a director in this moment but everyone thinks you're being kind of like comically petty and ridiculously over the top and then you follow this into other things that you're doing and you get that kind of thing where like, ah, I see this guy. He's trying his best, but my God. My God. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I think you're totally right, Annie, because like, people do this all the time. Like, people that are out there in happy marriages with like and having affairs and they know it's going to crush people. Yeah. Both sides. And it's all about following their heart. And yeah, maybe, you know, we tell people, yeah, follow your heart. But at what cost? And this is a person who literally does that. He, he genuinely does seem to like, I got for a moment and then he changes his mind and he's back to him and it's it's him ricocheting mm. between two people and basically ripping them apart 
and and he he sort of doesn't sort of see that he's doing anything wrong. He literally thinks he's a good guy here. Yeah, but it is also then that kind of inadequacy of the relationship structures that we have to allow for that kind of desire, right? Like they obviously are in this like queer marriage, but it is this very like kind of, I think it's, is it meant to be open? It doesn't really kind of say, there's an ambiguity there. There's a sense that Martin's a bit weary because this has probably happened before. Yeah, like he doesn't seem like shocked and horrified, but that the kind of relationship that they have is not enough to contain what this man wants. And then yeah. his relationship with Agathe is not enough to contain that. And. Yeah, I know. I thought that was quite interesting. But that's why he's a narcissist because it's not an open relationship, is it? Because because no, 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 as soon no, no, as Martin, because no, no. Martin, yeah, I love Ben Wish in this film. He gets this beautiful writer who who he starts to shack up with, and then as soon as he does that, that's when Francis Rosowski's character Thomas is interested again. Yeah. It's as soon as he realizes that Ben Wishaw doesn't need him. Yeah. He wants him back. And that's what makes him, you know, if it was just an open relationship and people were fucking everyone and it'd be great. It would be you know, fine. That, that's like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the utopia, but it's not. It's a person who wants it all, but wants also wants to possess people. And that's yeah. what makes it, makes it but interesting. But then isn't that kind of what inherited monogamy has done? That even if you're not in a monogamous relationship, these feelings of like jealousy and these feelings of, we're not taught how to like navigate wanting multiple people because just none of us have been raised like this and you can be in a queer relationship and you can kind of be as like progressive or whatever, but like these inherited structures that we have of, like not to defend him, like he really yeah. is an <laughs> asshole, but I just mean, I think the and film is- I want is, that on the record. I want that on the record. But I do think the film is doing something really interesting about like, to what extent is it possible to have that fluidity? Are people equipped? Even if someone wants it, is that person then equipped to do that? Are the people yeah. around them equipped? And I think it is like a really interesting comment on the ways that we exist in relationships and our inability to have them. Because I think when, when, he, when, he, when, he, when he comes home and tells uh, Martin that he's met this woman, he says, you should be happy for me. Why are you not happy? Yeah, that was so fucking funny. I know. Of course he's not happy. I would kill him. Him. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if your husband came? Oh my God. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. I want the best for Ben Wishaw and, uh, yeah. and I, got, I can't remember. I can't say the actress's name, but she's fantastic as well. Both of them are wonderful. Yeah. I wish I wish they could just go off and have like some sort of like platonic. Cute little life. Family. That'd be amazing. That would be nice. God bless them. They each get half of that nice cottage they have in, the, <laughs> in their respective divorces to Franz Rogowski. Yeah. Then they could live together. But I was also like, wow, should I move to Paris? Like, I forgot how nice places in Paris are. Yeah, just like hanging out in those cafes and just like having yeah. a little dance. Yeah, you know? the high ceilings. I know we have high ceilings in Edinburgh. Yeah, I mean, like I'm surrounded by like those kind of archetypes all the time, but they never seem as like charming and sexy as the ones in Paris. What's going on? Sorry, guys. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> There's obviously people in that Very charming, very sexy. <laughs> so I don't know what you want from me. I'm doing my best, all right? <laughs> You work with what you've got. <laughs> so so Passages is on at EIFF uh, at The View on Saturday, the 19th of August at 8.45. I think the earlier two screenings are show, uh, sold out. This is very much not a film that will ever play at an outdoor cinema. You're having to go in to watch this, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With the amount of shagging in it. Um, <laughs> it is, just in case that wasn't clear. Um, it's out in UK cinemas from the 1st of September, and we actually have... Uh, two free screenings of it coming up with movies. So CCA on the 6th and Summer Hall on the 7th, skinny.co.uk slash tickets for those. Paddington will never be the same again. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, Paddington is taking the big, some big L's today. <laughs> Knocked back from the outdoor screening program at EIFF. 
Ben Wishaw getting his heart broken. Well, just it's just not on. Oh, I don't think Paddington is that good. Can I put that up? There? Whoa, no. <laughs> just cause. I thought. I thought. It, oh my god. Do you guys genuinely think it's like one of the best films ever? Oh made? god, oh, no. I think it's I think really it's good. good, but like. Yeah, but it's not like the way that people talk about it. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's uh, a very is London people think that because it's very kind of like paints London as like a great place. I'm from London. Oh sure. <laughs> Put my foot in the center to down. I forgot. Doctor, please forgive me. <laughs> not sexy. I'm not from London. <laughs> not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I worked so hard. <laughs> Okay, and so in honour of, is that the right phrase? Probably, I've connected two passages and it's a tawdry love triangle. So, tawdry sounds unfair. I'll start this again. Because we've just talked about passages, we're also going to talk about some love triangles. I'm not going to cast aspersions on Ben Wisher. <laughs> he's, he's got enough problems on his plate as it is with his husband philandering about the place. Right, so we're going to talk about love triangles and I believe the two of you want to talk about some classics of le genre. So, yes. I'm going to come to you, Jamie. Please help me get out of this uh, link. <laughs> yes, by accident, Annie and I both went for like 30s scribble comedies. Oh, boy, um, Carrie. I know. Oh, Carrie Grant as well. Yeah, so my one um, is My Favourite Wife, which uh, which is it. Well, I was going to say, yeah, like this this genre, there's just tons of them, this kind of idea of marriage and remarriage. And it's like, yeah, they're all, like almost all of them have like some sort of love triangle at the heart of it. But this is one of the juiciest. So it's, uh, it's about a kind of widow who's played by Carrie Grant, whose first wife died in a shipwreck years ago um, and he's he's kind of been oming and eyeing about it but he's found another woman that he loves and he's decided he's going to declare his wife officially dead so he can marry his new love who's played by Gail Patrick but being a screwball comedy there's going to be a twist and of course the first wife did not go down with the ship she uh, ended up being shipwrecked she's been shipwrecked for years and she has just started being rescued and uh, she comes back to find that Cary Grant has went off on his honeymoon uh, so most of the film takes place on the honeymoon with Cary Grant trying to work out what to do when he discovers his first <laughs> wife uh, is alive. He's worried that I'm going to be Charles the bigamist. People are after him. Uh, it's all very funny. Um, there's an extra wrinkle because initially he says, okay, of course I have to go back to my wife. But then he finds out that actually she was, wasn't alone when she was shipwrecked. She was shipwrecked with this absolute hunk. Well, well initially she, she tries to claim she was shipwrecked with this kind of like mousy like sort of little uh, shoe is a shoe salesman. She gets yeah, she gets yeah, you get yeah. this guy to pretend to be the person that she's shit right with, but then it, he finds out it was this hunk played by uh, Radolf Scott. And of course, if MD knows any Hollywood history, the juicy thing is Cary Grant and Randolph Scott were lovers. Were they actually? Yes, it was an open okay. secret. They were really? like, well, I mean, people say they're the best friends and they live together. Oh, sure. Uh, but, you know, they were lovers. And uh, there's a great, <laughs> great scene where uh, Cary Grant first sees uh, Randolph Scott. He's like preparing to go in, the swim, uh, in a swimming pool. He's preparing to dive. He's like stretching and his eyes are just agog. <laughs> He's like watering in the mouth it's like so hilarious and it's just this kind of big Hollywood in joke because you know those two are going out so uh, it's just a really funny film it's, it's by Leo McCarthy well Leo McCarthy wrote it who we're, we're just talking about uh, he directed uh, The Awful Truth mm. which also had Iron Dunn and uh, Cary Grant in it so if you like The Awful Truth I think you will also love this this is a bit less known but um, I think they have I, remarkable chemistry those two. Oh my god so like much fucking hell yeah it's, uh, it's just so much fun it's got some really good twists uh, and yeah, just the added layer of Hollywood history um, makes it all the better. So yeah, 
if you if you're into like love triangles, you're into queer romance. Uh, if you're into like uh, Irene Dunn, who I think is probably my favorite of the kind of like 30s and 40s kind of uh, Hollywood stars. Well, definitely the funniest. Anyway, um, I would I would recommend this. There's this one bit in that so he sees him like doing the swimming thing and he's like agog and then isn't it later in his like bedroom where he sees like a tiny version of him <laughs> in his sleep <laughs> just like diving up and down it's so, good. it's so funny um yeah my one is a philadelphia story uh at philadelphia the philadelphia the single philadelphia story um which is a year or two after? When was? Oh yeah, maybe more the forties actually. Yeah, that's nineteen forty. So I can't remember when the um, my favorite wife was. Um, but it also has Cary Grant, James Stewart, Catherine Hepburn. Put, like casting peaked. Like that that film. That is the film. It's one of my favorite films in the fucking world. I love it so much. And it is basically about. So it has the same kind of like marriage remarriage thing. Um, which is a characteristic of like 1930s, 1940s cinema because of the Hayes Code that you weren't allowed to have an affair. Um, and so what they would do would they would have these couples that are just like divorced or broken up. You have this in His Girl Friday as well. And that would allow them to have like little intrigues with other people and then they would get back together at the end. Um, so there's a lot of this kind of like trope happening. And in this one, um, Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant have broken up. Um, and she is now with this like very fancy man, like self-made called George Kittredge. Um, and then they're about to get married. And for various like shenanigans reasons, her ex-husband brings these reporters played by James Stewart and Ruth Hussey into the house. And it is all of them kind of like interacting with each other. It is the funniest film ever made. It is fucking hilarious. Like I can't even, I can't even describe it. Like it has, like the screwball comedy is obviously characterized by this real like kind of wittiness and quickness and back and forth. And I think this and His Girl Friday for me are like the top just in terms of like sheer speed and quippiness. It is so, so funny. There is this one very sexist bit with her dad who can like go fuck himself. But other than that, it is like a perfect, perfect film. And just like really, charming delightful and actually i think kind of thinking about how the love triangle operates in a surprisingly like progressive for its time there's this bit where like katherine hepburn's character is trying to be like shamed for maybe having like had some sort of intrigue on her wedding night and the reason that you know that her and carrie grana kind of made for each other is he's just like like i believe in her and i trust her and like you should like go fuck yourself to like her new husband and it's just like really lovely him and james stewart have this amazing chemistry as well there's this one scene where it's like the two of them and i think james stewart is like pretending to have hiccups and it's like so authentic that you can see like carrie grant like corpsing throughout it's just so Delightful. I love this film so much. It makes me so happy. So yeah, I would really, really recommend it. It's very good. A pair. I mean, if you have become fried from too much culture, <laughs> a pair of recommendations that will bring you back round. Uh, My Favourite Wife is on the BBC iPlayer. So you can watch it for free. The Philadelphia Story, you'll have to pay for. Sure. Or not. not. <laughs> well, it's worth it. You know, what's it going to be? Three pounds? the best yeah. three pounds you're going to spend. It really is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, considering how much we've paid to see some of the stuff that we've seen in the last couple of weeks, if they could just wheel out, not literally, but if they could just wheel out a Cary Grant. <laughs> or literally. Or literally. <laughs> and he's with us tonight. That would be so nice. <laughs> okay, and before we go, we need to plug some things that you two are doing. 
in the coming days as part of Edinburgh International Film Festival. Yep. Who thanks, for, thanks for stressing <laughs> us out for the more work we've got coming up. Jamie, why have we done this? <laughs> I mean, I, I feel I'm taking it easy compared to you. So. Wow. <laughs> All right, well, we'll start with you, Jamie, then. Um, so we've got the screening of Femme is on at EIFF, and you are doing Q&A, I believe? Yeah, that's right. Sunday night. Who are you talking to? Talking to the whole gang. So, like, the directors plus um, one of the stars, Nathan Jarrett-Stewart. Who's going to be there? And that's that's what I've been told so far. But there may be other people, so uh, I'm just waiting to, <laughs> to find out. Basically, I'm jumping on you. Five seconds before it they starts. They just keep coming out on stage. It's like oh, I've got more people coming. It's like just, a clown car. Yeah, just other people. It's like, and then there's this guy. Nathan's brought his pal. Um, so that's fam. That's on Sunday night, eight forty-five. I think it's sold out. There might be more tickets near the time. Maybe Jamie's doing the Q and A. Friends of the pod, say hi. Uh, Anahi, you're doing a film festival thing with two very interesting people, I believe. I've written it in the notes, so you can just read it off there. <laughs> but you know, say? you know already. So. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I was informed. Yes. Unlike um, Jamie, who's getting a surprise <laughs> mix of people brought to him on the day. So I am doing one of the um, festivals, kind of like encounters series, which is like a kind of series of panels and like kind of going beyond the Q and A. We love to go beyond things. I think we should stay where we are, um, but it's going beyond the Q and A. Um, we should keep so eyes. <laughs> we should keep eyes on the Q and A at all times. Don't turn your back on the Q and A. That's a dangerous game to play. <laughs> but mine is about defining belonging, um, and it is with Babak Jalili, who is the director of Fremont, which is the closing film of the festival, and with my really good friend Heather Parry, who is also an amazing, amazing writer. And it's going to be the three of us having a chat. I'm actually really excited. The I interviewed Babak for um, the Skinnies August issue, and actually, I don't know. It was, he, I, I just really liked talking to him. I thought he was really interesting and just very kind of, I think, kind of emotionally connected to his film and what it was talking about. Um, so I think it genuinely will be a very good chat. And I think it's pay what you can. So it's two pounds, four pounds or six pounds. I will be there. It will be in a week, in exactly a week as we're recording. So if I'm insane now, just you wait. <laughs> <laughs> you, thought, you thought you'd seen madness a week ago. <laughs> I think it'll be nice. <laughs> uh, I don't have anything to plug other than the podcast we're on right now. You have good mental health. What's that like? Well, <laughs> I mean, Peter's also extremely busy. Yeah, <laughs> right true. Now. But busy in a way where I can try and I can try and contain it to work hours, and then simply walk off at the end of the day. It doesn't really work when they're like, "Can you chair this Q and A?" No. <laughs> It's at 8.45, <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Um, yes, yeah, so I don't have anything to... I have nothing to offer except this podcast, which is now finished. So Great. enjoy yourselves. Uh, so thank you, Jamie. Cheers, Peter. Thanks, Anahit. Thank you. For taking time out of our very busy August. <laughs> Oh, we're having a great time. This is the thing. We're having a lovely time. We are having a nice time. I am so tired. I think my thing is I'm starting to feel too old for it. Like my body is giving up. Not even my mind. My mind is also giving up, but that was like expected. But my body is like failing, you know? It's when you have to like give up the, the fun part of it, like going out. Like that's like yeah. the exciting part. It's when you have to just be like reviewing, doing a job. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It feels like work. And the eating, like you can't just like eat all the street food because you feel so uh, sick. To go home and have like broccoli. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not loving that. Yeah. You know what that is? It's relatable content. <laughs> we'll be back in a couple of weeks with more of that. <laughs> I won't be. I'll be in Venice. Again, relatable content. <laughs> <laughs> Anna hates out of one festival that she, in a town that she lives in that she's complaining is too much to go halfway across Europe to go to another festival. Yeah, baby. <laughs> party, party. 
Jamie will be here in a couple of weeks. I'll be here, unfortunately. <laughs> I want to be in bed. Honest, honestly, lads, Sydney Skinny at the Skinny Duck. If you've got any thoughts, uh, Lewis should be back in a couple of weeks as well. And uh, yeah, thanks to Jamie at EHFM, ehfm.live. This has been the Sydney Skinny. We're all off for a lie down or probably to do a loads more work. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.